Welcome to the Life of Christ Series 5. This is Lesson 28. Um, and we're going to pick up on page 5, on page 5 for me anyway, in chapter 19. And uh, it's uh, three paragraphs down. In relation to opposing corruption, William Hendrickson says that salt then has especially a negative function. It combats deterioration. Similarly, Christians, by showing themselves to be Christians indeed, are constantly combating moral and spiritual decay. And even though salt acts secretly, and we cannot see it perform its task, its influence is very real nonetheless. You know, it's very interesting. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was watching a cooking show at one point, and um, in that they said, you know, if you want to add salt, you enhance the flavor. If you want to add pepper, you change the flavor. <laughs> you know? okay? And I just thought it's really interesting that people never really identify the salt in a dish. The salt brings out the dish. We say add salt to the dish, not so that we can taste the salt in the dish, but because we want to taste the dish itself. Interesting, isn't it? And I feel like that's exactly what we do. We're very quiet. We're meant to be very quiet. We work in the background. And because we're there, we flavor things and we actually make whatever is there nice, tasty. So it, uh, similar to Christians again, by showing themselves to be Christians indeed. And that word indeed means in our deeds. Okay, I just want to go back to that because I just want to make sure that you understand. When it says indeed, it's saying not just in word, but indeed. If I put it that way, you'll get that. Yeah? Um, and again, says are constantly co- combating uh, moral and spiritual decay. Um, and again, we act secretly. But our influence is real. And it needs to be that way. Now, one of the times we go unnoticed uh, while we oppose corruption and preserve what is beneficial is in the area of prayer. This is probably one of the quietest things because, you know, you're not meant to pray in public. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? You can have public prayer, but you're not meant to pray, pray in public. You, you get the difference. Okay? Um, and that's, that's one of the things that we're never meant to advertise. You know, Jesus said, when you pray, go quietly into your closet and pray. You know, don't advertise it. And that's one of the things that a lot of times people in society, when things work out, they say, oh, isn't it lucky that, you know, we, we, you know, we happened to uh, do so well this year. Our crops went well and everything went well. It's because some little guy is praying. And they don't ever see that. Again, like the salt in food. You don't, you don't know, you know the salt that's there, but you know you can taste the food. And it's tastier because it's there, you know, that kind of a thing. So, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says to him in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and this is why he says this, Therefore exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, verse 2, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness, that is, holiness and dignity and reverence. Um, I think one of the key things that we need to pick up from this is that it's as Christians pray. Now I know people have a will, and I know that some societies, all right, people are just stubborn, okay. But you know, you can pray them out. <laughs> you know? Amen. Uh, but the thing is that as you pray, it literally causes, and and God has, in a sense, reserved to a degree, um, I guess, the right to influence leaders that are going to um, influence the way you live and the way uh, you know the society in which you live. Are you all with me? And so there is this uh, kind of a bit of a reservation that even though you have your own will, once you get into a place of leadership, 
that God has some kind of um, influence over you because of His people. And that if you are not listening to Him, because His people, you know, that's why He says, that's the reason why we're meant to pray. Because, you know, God says, if my people who are called by my name cry out, you know, if they pray, then He says, I will hear and I will act, basically, is what it says, okay? And that's how He acts. And if people are doing the wrong thing, then He will remove them from those positions. Amen. Amen. I mean, they can decide they want to do the wrong thing, but they're not going to get the right to stay there. That's His choice. Are you all here? But only while we pray. And that's why we're meant to pray. Alright. This blessing is enjoyed then, uh, excuse me, is then enjoyed by all living lives that are quiet and peaceable without any knowledge of where it actually, uh, where it is actually coming from. It is also worth noting that there will be times when your influence will be not so subtle. Times when a more direct approach is required. As was the case in Mark chapter 11, where it said in verses 15 through 17, So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. It was being quiet. And overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Verse 16, Mark eleven sixteen, And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Verse 17, Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? I really love that. Isn't it great? He said all nations. Amen. And he says, But you have made it a den of thieves. You understand why he said all nations? Because these people were carrying out all their activity in the court of the Gentiles. And it was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. So, you know, and these guys, it was really sad because, of course, they wouldn't go anywhere into the, you know, in the holy or holy of holies. Dear God, they wouldn't even think of it because they'll drop dead anyway in one of those places. But, you know, but come the court of the Gentiles, who cares? And that, that's again what these people were, the way that they dishonored God, so to speak, and those people that, that were trying to come to Him by carrying on these kind of activities and not allowing them to have a place to pray. Amen. How can you pray with a racket going on and people you know, bargaining and carrying on? This brings us to the third and final quality of salt, and that is in addition to seasoning, preserving, hindering, preserving, hindering corruption, salt creates a thirst in other believers to live righteous lives. However, this takes effort. And why Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate, stir up, and encourage one another to good deeds. Isn't it sad that when you want to do something good, it's difficult? You do something bad, and oh dear God, it's just like you're going downhill. <laughs> you, know? you try to do something good, you, you, you try, you're climbing this mountain almost straight up. And uh, it, it is, you know. And the reason is, is because there is a devil. There is a world system that opposes the right thing. Amen. And there is a, the, the fallen nature of your body that also has issues with it. If we didn't have that fallen nature in our body, because our body was made of the dust of the ground, when it got cursed, everything that was created from it got cursed along with it. You all understand that, right? And so because of that, you, you know, in our spirit, when you get saved, you have aspirations and you want to do the right thing, but then there's a body that pulls you down so much of the time. And that's the reason why you need to renew your mind, because then your mind and spirit can gang up on your body. <laughs> You know, and when it's saying no, both of them can go, Yeah, you're outvoted. Shut up. We're moving. We're going to do this. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. So, in their, uh, in their commentary, 
Hendrickson and Kissimaka write, carefully consider how we may uh, ardently incite one another to love and do good works. Put your mind to work to find ways to provoke, in a good sense of the word, each other to increase your expression of love that results in doing noble works. And again, you know, I think that's really key that whatever we do needs to come from a place of love. You know, not of compulsion, all right, and not from a place that you can boast. It needs to come because you love and because you want to do something because of the love that's driving you from within. For God so loved the world and so do you. <laughs> Amen? And whoever it is that needs help. Excuse me. So returning to um, Matthew chapter 5. Notice that Jesus says again in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So Jesus now informs us that the problem with salt is that once it loses its flavor, now this is, this is where we really need to take note. Amen? There is no way to restore its true natural taste. That's why Jesus said, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In order to gain some insight and understanding what Jesus meant, Albert Barnes explains that salt used in this country is a chemical compound, generally sodium and chloride. Okay, You know sodium chloride? Yeah, okay. All right. And if the saltiness were lost or it were to lose its flavor, there would be nothing remaining. In eastern countries, however, the salt used was impure, mingled with vegetable and earthly substances, so that it might lose the whole of its saltiness and a considerable quantity of flavorless substance remains. Do you all get this? Okay, so here, salt is kind of pure in the sense where it is, the, the chemical that makes salt is actually, that's all there is. But back then, it was a part of other things. But, and so when the saltiness was gone, what was, what was left was something that was just tasteless and horrible. <laughs> okay, can I say that? He says, this was good for nothing except that it was used, as it is said, thrown out and trampled underfoot to place in paths or walks as we use gravel. So they would use this leftover stuff just like we throw out you know, bitumen or whatever on the road to just pave a road. You know, it would be used in that way. And that's why Jesus said it's good for nothing and it would be trampled underfoot. Okay. Further to this, William Hendrickson explains that Jesus, as he walked on earth, saw many Pharisees and scribes, people who advocated a formal legalistic religion in, uh, in the place of the true religion proclaimed by the ancient prophets in the name of the Lord. Thus, by and large, the sword had lost its flavor in the religious life of Israel. And why Jesus said many sons of the kingdom would be cast out. So, what this is saying is that they're saying because they got so caught up in their religion, you know, religion and their ritualistic sort of things that they were doing, they, they didn't understand anymore why they were doing it. You know, you can get to a place where you're doing things and you don't know why you're doing it. And that's really dangerous because you then, you know, you have a form of godliness, but there's no godliness there. It looks right on the outside, whitewashed tombstones, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. There's nothing there. It's all dead. Do you understand? And so that's what had happened to Israel, that they had got to the place where they were so precise and so detailed, you know, so to speak, in what they did, they forgot who they did it for. They were more concerned about doing it correctly than the heart behind what they were doing. Are you all with me? I have experienced a little bit of that, you know, because I was in the uh, denominational churches for a little while. 
when I first got saved, didn't know what, what all to do. And, uh, you know, I was involved in, you know, they've got certain ceremonial things that they do and certain ways that they do things. And, you know, you have to, and that's all that you're concerned about. You know, that you wave it a certain way, that, you, you, that everything is right. And you can get so caught up in that, you kind of forget that God's there. That's right. You're doing everything to impress people. So somebody in the congregation look and go, oh yeah, he, he, he's experienced in swinging that little thing, you know, with the smoke in it. And, you know, there's no God in it. Nobody looks at that and says, oh, praise to Jesus. <laughs> you know? That never happens. You know, you know, if they did, they'd probably throw him out. <laughs> okay. So, but that's what they're talking about here. Do you understand? That they get just caught up in things that, that mean nothing to God. And they had, be, they had get, got to the place where they had lost their flavor. And that's brought in in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus marvels at the great faith that the Roman centurion has, and then goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, that's us, okay, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, But the sons of the kingdom, these are all the religious Jews, okay, and the Jewish leaders in fact, and I've said here, rebellious Jewish leaders, okay, he says, will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We must be careful not to lose our flavor. And why William MacDonald goes as far as to say that if he, the believer, fails to exhibit this spiritual reality, being the salt of the earth, men will tread his testimony under their feet. The world has only contempt for an undedicated believer. I like that. It's interesting. You know, people don't like hypocrites. Can I say that? Okay. And if they see you as a person that claims to be religious, and then you're doing all sorts of other things, on one hand, they'll pat you on the back. On the other hand, they'll despise you. It's a funny thing. It's, it's, it's incredible. You know? And what you want is for them to think well of you on the inside, even though they might say things on the outside. And that's a funny thing, you know. It's a, this is the thing in society. Okay, therefore, it is one of our primary jobs to remain salty. As the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Amen? And please, you know, that saltiness is anointing. Can I say that? Make sure that whatever you say has an anointing on it. I know you're not always, you know, it won't always happen. There are situations that we get into that it's difficult for that anointing to flow and you just go through the motions. You know, God understands. <laughs> okay, I'm just telling you, it's okay, don't worry about it. But for the most part, amen, can I say that? For the most part, we should be in that place where everything that we're saying is anointed, is blessed. And it has an effect on people, a positive effect on their life. Hallelujah. Alright, so first, speech that is seasoned with salt is speech that is wholesome, witty, and palatable. I really like that. Wholesome, witty, and palatable. Not wholesome, boring, and bad. No. <laughs> okay? Some people, they are so religious and they're so correct. Can I put those in quotes? Okay, they're so correct that they are so, they're just so boring. And you can't stand there for more than five minutes without falling asleep listening to them. Because they do everything right. Everything is correct. But dear God, it's not just, there's, it's stale. You think, where's the color? So that's one of the things that we need to realize. You know, you can, you can have flavor. Like I said, you can 
you can have a joyful spirit and you can be uh, anointed and salty and funny and everything else, okay? Without being sinful. I know some people find that hard to believe, but you actually can do it. Try, work on it. <laughs> okay, I'm sure you guys are already doing that. Hallelujah. Uh, and again, let me just conclude here. He says, speech that is seasoned with salt is speech that is wholesome, witty, and palatable, as opposed to speech that is colorless, dull, and flat. In his commentary on this verse, Norman T. Wright says that Paul knows that a tedious monologue is worse than useless in evangelism. Christians are to work at making their witness interesting, lively, and colorful, and at the same time ensure that they have thoroughly mastered the rudiments of their faith. They know what's important, okay? So that they may know how to answer everyone. You know, I, I think... Uh, Allow me this, okay? Let me just say something that I think. That said the Lord. I think that evangelists should put work into how they evangelize the way a comedian puts work into getting up and being funny. You know, they put a lot of work into the, the material that they bring. And you know, all they get is laughs. We get souls. Shouldn't we take a little bit more time? Amen. You know, I think one of the... One of the um, fallacies in the in the Christian faith in the Christian belief is you know when when Jesus said don't worry about what you know what you're going to say you'll know to say it when you need to say it you know yes and that's true but you know what he was not talking about going out there with empty heads he's saying once you know once you've taken time to learn and to grow then don't worry about what specific thing you're going to say. If you've got a reservoir there, I'll help you pick from that reservoir what you need to say at the time that you need to say it. Amen? You don't have to remember everything you've learned. It will be brought to your remembrance. But it can only be brought to your remembrance if you first put it in there. You can't remember something you don't know. <laughs> you know? Okay. Amen. Okay. In short, we are not only to have the answers the world is looking for, but also be the answer the world is looking for. Because we are the ones with the truth and the only real hope that they have of finding God. And if we fail in our job, many will be lost to the enemy and never find their way to God. It is imperative that... And you know, stop here for a minute. God's just speaking to me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, let me just say this. Don't be put in condemnation when you read this stuff. Don't just think about all the traditional ways that people are out there, you know, ministering and getting people saved. And, you know, some people go door knocking and stuff like that. And you just think, oh, I can't do that. And, you know, somebody says, oh, yeah, but they're going to go to hell if you don't do it. No, <laughs> okay. Listen, man, you need to find the way that you need to do something that is you. That's the, the, your first job is to go and ask God, how do I, with my unique gifts and talents, how do I lead somebody to, to the Lord? And if you sing, dear God, make up a song that just puts it on Him. <laughs> you know? And at the end of the song, they just come running forward to get saved. You did your job. And you enjoyed it because you like music. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, and I think that's one of the biggest problems we've had. Is that, you know, and that's why we're doing what we're doing. You know, we, we took us, how many years? 25 years? A long time to come to this realization. That, you know what? God isn't looking for traditional ways of doing things. He is new every morning. And we need to be the same way. Amen? And there are people that will turn their noses up. But you know what? 
Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Okay? If what we're hearing is from God, then it will have fruit to show. And also, the other way, just because you're doing something good, and if nothing is happening, go check. Maybe you're doing a good thing, but not a God thing. A good thing might be to go out and door knock. A God thing might be, hey dude, you're a singer, get out there and sing. Let's see what happens. Don't go door knocking because you're terrible at it. Get up and sing, see what happens. And people just hear a voice and go, ooh, I like that. I wonder what they're saying. Do you know that's what the devil used to, to cause a lot of youth to do things that... I, I remember this one thing that one, you know, one um, young person said to a cop. They'd kill somebody. And they said, why did you do that? You don't even know this person. You know what the answer was? The song told me to. That was it. Do you understand the power of music? People sing words to songs because they like the music. And in doing so, they are making confessions. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Let's make them good ones. Amen? Amen. Hey, we can play the same game. Get him saved. <laughs> you know? Why'd you get saved? The song told me to. Okay. <laughs> you know? well, tell you, you're in, dude. Let's go from there. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, if we fail in our job, can I just reread this? All right. If we fail in our job, many will be lost to the enemy and never find their way to God. It is imperative, therefore, that we never lose our saltiness and keep ourselves right with God. That is important. And for those times we slip up, we should immediately do as First John 1 John 1.9 says. I keep bringing this up con- constantly. You know, all you need to do is confess or acknowledge your sin before God, receive forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. And I think that is important for you to realize that it's from all unrighteousness, which means that you are perfectly righteous once again. And you can start from a place of perfection and move forward. Amen? That's what, that's what the devil just not, does not want you to know. In this way, we will remain in fellowship with the Lord and keep our salty nature intact. This applies to what comes next as well, and that is light. We will then not only fulfill our calling, but stay away from the dangers of losing our saltiness and suffering the consequences of being good for nothing and trampled underfoot by men. Hallelujah. Let's go to the light of the world. <clears throat> as important as salt is, When it comes to light, it is crucial to human existence. With Jesus going on to say, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, by the way, that that is a scientific statement. Do you know light is crucial to your existence? Without light, things start to fall apart on the inside, by the way. Okay? Anyway. uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses, interesting how Jesus knew all this stuff, huh? All things were created by Him and for Him. He knows the maths behind it all, okay? And the science, he made it. He actually made the science of it all. You know, he could have made it go another direction. All the things that we are so proud of that we learn, and that we can now identify and say, oh, now we know all these things. <laughs> he made it. He's the one that said, these are the rules. You're patting yourself on the back for actually discovering that those were the rules, but he's the one that came up with them. And if he made him something else, you'd be writing another book. Amen. Just want to say, okay? So this is who is saying, speaking these words. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. That verse is so key. I think it is really important for all that is said following it, always go back to that first verse. Because it sets the standard. 
I know he talks about us as being, you know, little lights and under bushels and everything else. But the first thing he said wasn't that you're a little light in a bushel. He said you are a city set on a hill. That's the kind of light you are. Amen? Now he starts to get a little bit more specific, but that's, the, that's, that's where your starting point. Verse 15, he says, Nor do they light a lamp, and habitually, that actually is what the Greek says, put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. He's trying to bring this you know, to a place where we can understand it, because if you ever, you know, have you ever had a light and you put it down in a corner somewhere? You can't see anything except the corner. What we try to do is always hold it up. Have you all seen when they light a torch, they're always holding it up? You know, they're holding it up because the higher up it goes, the more light it gives. You know, the light spreads out. Amen. And he says here, uh, they don't put it on the basket, but a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, so he says, so let your light uh, so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. Alright, let's just, uh, can we stop there? Because I'm at um, 29 minutes now. Uh, 28 and a half. Um, I was going to do a half an hour session. If I start this, I'll have to recap this next week. <laughs> so, uh, just for this week. Oh, well, actually, this is your last week, isn't it? So, let's stop here. Uh, when we come back after the holidays, we can start at this point and move forward from there. Might be a better thing to do. Okay. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for everything that we are learning. We thank you, God, that yes, we have learned this before. But as the Apostle Peter said, teach me what I already know. Thank you, God, that your, your word is everlasting. Hallelujah. And Father, that we can never exhaust it. There is a new revelation everywhere we look. And we just thank you that we have the privilege of going over these particular scriptures that are so key in what Jesus did to train up his disciples. And I thank you, Lord, that that's one of the key things we want in our life is to be trained up as one of your disciples. Know what they knew, so that we can do what they did. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, Amen.